0: Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. This community Chicago, one of the best sports towns and best fans in... The country, they deserve better.
1: It's the WGN Radio
0: Football Podcast. We have to understand that you have to score in the red zone. Fields rolls to the right on fourth and one, trying to keep the play alive, and now he's dead. That looked awful from the snap. Field goals do you no good. Miss field goals do you no good. From the nine. Field rolls, and it is caught, but out of bounds this came down to uh, nine total penalties uh, five personal fouls uh, one including myself that it was an emotional game um and i think that it sucks losing now here's your host kevin powell
1: all right episode 25 of the wgn radio football podcast i'm kevin powell thank you for listening happy holidays merry christmas uh, another clunker from the Bears' offense against the Vikings. A fairly impressive performance from the defense, considering how many of their starters were out uh, due to COVID. But uh, I thought they fought. It was a battle. But this offense under Matt Nagy, as we already know, not good at all. And I'm watching the game. I'm like, this is Matt Nagy calling the plays, isn't it? Because Bill Lazor was out. and it, Nagy wasn't exactly clear who would be calling the plays. After the game, he said, yeah, I was calling the plays. And it was, it was so apparent. I mean, some of the calls, it's like, this is classic Nagy right here. So uh, the end of the Nagy uh, era is is coming soon. How soon? I, probably not till after the season. Uh, would they do it after this next game? Knowing the Bears, I don't think so, although there is now a two-week window where you can start interviewing uh, coaching candidates. Could help the Bears. I still think they'll wait until the end of the year. But on this episode of the podcast, I am joined by Mark Carmen. We'll talk about the Bears and Vikings. And then Vic Carucci, is a longtime NFL reporter, has a new book called Super Bowl Blueprints out. Uh, interesting stuff to kind of take a look at some of the uh, teams that have had uh, you know, lengthy success, sustained success, won Super Bowls. Uh, he wrote it with uh, Hall of Famer Bill Polian, a longtime NFL executive. Uh, so we dive into that book, which was uh, very interesting, and uh, we'll get into that. But let's start with my conversation with Mark Carman. Mark Carmen joining me on the podcast. You can uh, hear Mark, watch Mark at com here on WGN Radio, our Bears pregame and postgame with Dan Hampton and Ed O'Brien. OB was fired up after the Bears uh, Vikings game, Carmen. I mean, he's fired up after every game, but he was bringing the heat uh, Monday night.
0: OB was, what's the word, beside himself? Uh, I mean, it's not, nothing's new, right, KP? Yeah. And by the way, thanks for having me on. Love you. Uh, But yes, Ob was perhaps dialed up to a slightly higher level after yet another debacle. I'm starting to feel. You you got any sympathy for a Matt Nagy going out the way he's going out here? Eight of nine losing streak, uh, or just not a losing streak? I guess. I I, I
1: don't think I have sympathy. Um, I think he's a really good guy. I think fans can go overboard. We've seen that plenty of times. Uh, but he's just simply not cut out for the job, Carm. I mean, I'm watching the game. Bill Lazor's not coaching. And I'm watching the play calling. I'm like, this is classic Nagy. This is classic Matt Nagy play calling. We didn't know for sure. He, when he was asked about it, he did what he always does. And he talked in circles. And he's like, me and John Filippo will do this and that. He, he gave a non-answer like he always does. I think that's one thing I'm definitely not going to miss after he's let go is his press conferences, because he says nothing, Carm. And it's these long-witted answers where he doesn't give a lot of direction. But I'm watching the play calling Monday, and I'm like, this is Matt Nagy. These jet sweep end-arounds, he's forcing the ball to Jakeem Grant. You got a random wildcat in there when there's some momentum. It it was classic Nagy, and then after the game, he's like, yeah, I was calling the plays. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we kind of got that. I mean, it's just his offense does not work. And it's the same thing over and over. I'll ask you this: did you learn anything from that game? Because I'm watching it, I'm like, this is just Nagy over and over and over and over again. It's the same old story. They got a solid effort from the defense, which didn't even have a single secondary starter. One, I think it's like good for all the guys that stepped up. And two, it's not a great look for your starters, right? I mean, you're going to get to Vikings offense that's pretty good. They've got some playmakers, and guys like Thomas Graham step in. And and look pretty solid. But did you learn anything from this game, or was it just more of the same?
0: Things I learned: top three. Number one, Tevin Jenkins really cares and wants to protect his quarterback, and will put himself in officials' harm's way to do it. That's one. Two, Justin Fields uh, is not is in need. Let's put it that way of some really good coaching. I, I think the one read Fields is uh a little alarming and the the jump screen, whatever weird passes, I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to get done. I I'm not trying to you know, put Fields in the he's not going to be good corner, but I I, I am at least I think it's fair to have some level of skepticism on it would be uh sort of where i'm at i guess with the quarterback right now and and number three i guess i learned that roquan smith really wanted to make Pro Bowl because he played with a ferocity that uh i mean he's had a great year and he's deserved to be there but he was hitting
1: like a madman on monday night so
0: a credit to the bears for i mean i they they played hard in my mind they yeah, just didn't they play did. particularly smart
1: no, and I and even throughout the Nagy era, for as frustrating as it's all been, they they have played hard. I mean, there's been a couple games here and there where it, it's not great, but the defensive unit led by Roquan and Akeem Hicks, by the way, one other note there. Um, I mean, he made a play, he sacked Cousins, and then basically it looked like he was saying goodbye to Bears fans, kind of like almost blowing kisses kisses to them. And after the game, he was asked about. It. I mean, Akeem Hicks is not going to be back next year. I would be stunned if they, if they bring him back. It was a very good six year run. Um, You know, and he was almost reminiscing. I think he recognized the fact, okay, this is my last primetime game at Soldier Field as a member of the Bears. It appears his time is coming to an end in Chicago. And and what a run it's been. I mean, he was even asked about it after the game. Like, where does he fit in with all-time Bears greats? And I sent you the cut because he he mentioned Hamp. And, uh, you know, he's like, I I just want to be... I want to be uh, appreciated by fellow players who played the game. And he he mentioned talking to Tommy Harris and Dan Hampton. Look, it's a six-year run. Um, I think fans fell in love with him. And I think, you know, even mediocre Bears ex-players still linger around this town, right? There's, like, random signings of guys who played here for a few years. But people latch on to players, and I think fans love Akeem Hicks.
0: I mean... I wonder if you, if you ask Bears fans, let's do a trivia here, KP, okay. how many people could name where he played before the Bears? Yeah. Like, I, I really, I, I don't think that, I mean, he was not a household name coming here, is my point. And even, you know, he was, a, he was a saint, and then he had a cup of coffee with the Patriots before getting to Chicago. I mean, I think part of his, you know, love of Chicago is his career took off here. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. You know, this was this was a guy who... The Bears got for a song and dance, and he just was an you know immediate impact, and uh, you know his numbers by far the best of his career in Chicago. So I mean this is this is a special special place for him, and he's we have we've taken out a whole lot of '96. I mean Bears fans love Akeem Hicks, and rightfully so.
1: Yeah, it's almost uh, it's kind of depressing, like seeing a guy like Akeem Hicks who's probably leaving the Bears that. And I think one of the one of the reasons Bears fans are so fed up with with Nagy is, and I don't know, maybe there's like a level of underachieving over the past few years here. But I think it's because we got a taste of what a really good team looks like in 2018, and they peaked there, and it, it was this awesome season, and they, you know, they had a lot of things go their way. They had a lot of turnovers. They led the league uh, in turnovers that year, but the defense was incredible. And then since then, it's just kind of been this downhill effort from the Bears. And, and much of it, not on the defensive side of the ball. They certainly were never, never got back to the 18 team. But it's this incompetency from Matt Nagy's offense over and over and over again. And it's like, man, what could, it's like, what could have been here if they were able to have figured out an offense to pair with that defense for a few years?
0: How about let's reverse it? Let's say that Nagy's first year of the Bears was was this particular year, okay? And but it's his first year; he's coming up. John Fox, and you know, you're not going to fire a coach, okay? Then 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 you go into back to back 500 seasons, right? You make the playoffs in one of them, and then you go 12 and four in year four. I mean, what seriously? What would they? And you have a record over 500 as a Bears coach. You're four years deep. You just got. You just uh, had a great run. It ended terribly in the playoffs. If we, you know, and do this imaginary
1: calm scenario, he's
0: not getting fired at all, right? Well, you might, I, I you mean, might even be beloved at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, in this hypothetical, you're saying if this year they were good and he built off a really bad first season,
0: just switch, just switch season four and switch season one. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, he's not getting fired, but. And know, they, I think and, that's and, why. And I mean, they started so hot with him, and then the expect, expectations were sky high. What were we all thinking after that eighteen season Super Bowl run? What was the big reason they didn't get there? The offense was so bad.
0: And like the whole thing changes. Like, okay, so he sucked his first year. They went for wherever whatever they're going to go. Uh, and and now he's he got him to five hundred, another five hundred teams. Now he's twelve and four. I don't know, likable guy, good old Matt Nagy. I mean, I'm sure we. I'm sure the same issues of and, and the other problem that he had is is Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, really, if they hadn't, if Pace doesn't, if Pace gets that right, um, you know, then you think Maggie, that, you think I, Maggie I, I, would
1: have screwed up a, a Patrick Mahomes? or a question. Fair
0: question. I, I'd like to think not, because uh, that's hard. That would be seemingly impossible to do, <laughs> but. I, look, he—it's amazing how these things can go. I mean, he's going to leave here in all likelihood over five hundred. Uh, you know, far better than than Trestman, far better than Fox. Of recent note, uh, where he's—he's—and yet he's like headed out of town as as despised, if not more than those guys. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I—I I and- think it's. It's an interesting conversation. Like, what, how will Matt Nagy be remembered? I think he'll be remembered as a guy who was brought here as an offensive guru. And it was finally the time the Chicago Bears would have a legitimate offense in the NFL, and it never happened. So there was this like, you know, optimism. And look, they these teams sell us, try to sell us on everything, and you can buy into it if you want, if you want to or not. But it was like, all right, Matt Nagy's coming here from this Chiefs offense. We're going to get a young quarterback. He'll develop them, and then the Bears will be set. They'll finally have an offense that can compete for years, and they'll have sustained sustained success. And it never happened. I mean, that that was the idea. Bring Matt Nagy in to create a legitimate offense and develop a quarterback. And he failed at both of those.
0: Yeah, swing and a miss. <laughs> I just, like, watching him run around the sidelines and just <laughs> completely lose his mind, it's like, man, I, I just, I kind of want you to go out with your head held high here. You know, you're, you, you weren't the worst thing in the history of this franchise. Like, yeah no. uh, I maybe he's having uh, i just I don't have like this the, the vitriol hate that so many people have for you me. I mean, like,
1: yeah I think a I mean, lot of that is social media and the way that's picked up steam, you know I mean it wasn't Trustman and Fox like it wasn't like it is now, you know where it's, it's you get outraged all the time on you just go on Twitter it's somebody bashing Matt Nagy. I really think that's yeah, part the, of it. I do like that, and that gains steam, and it's fire nagging, and he sucks, and this and that. It's like all right, everybody, chill out. But I think it is a lot to do with social media. If you're if you're comparing the anger and outrage compared to like Fox and the Tresman era.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm just thinking about the, the Tresman had young kids too. I mean, were they getting booed when they when they were going to junior high? Tre- um, yeah, you know, I mean. <sighs> Leave the Nagy family alone, man.
1: I mean, yeah. In that regard, I do, I do feel for him because he does seem like a good guy. By the way, you mentioned Tevin Jenkins, and for whatever reason, this became such like a again the social media people talking about whether or not it was smart for Tevin Jenkins to uh, to back up his quarterback. And I'm like, look. We're all for defending the quarterback. First of all, I don't think Justin Fields needs anybody backing him up or defending him. He's a tough dude. I don't think he needs anybody doing that. For a guy like Tevin Jenkins, um, like, sure, everyone's like, I loved it. I love the flag. I love that he got I'm like, the dude has how many flags in, like, a game and a half, and everybody's <laughs> celebrating it? Even Justin Fields. And then, like, people are like, you know, part of the quote from Justin Fields after the game was, yeah, I like that he defended me. And then people just stopped there. If you listen to the whole quote from Justin Fields, he goes, yeah, I told him I appreciate it, but to keep it between the whistle. (laughs) like That's what he told him. And then Jermaine Effetti was hot on the field yelling at Tevin Jenkins. Look, if you want to defend your quarterback, just be better on the field. I'm not even talking about... Tevin Jenkins, I think, had a a pretty solid game, and he's obviously very early in his career and all of that. Um, But it's like... And it's not like he was, was he really defending Fields? It looks like he, he fell in, he took the bait from a Vikings defender and got the flag. It's like, all right, we don't need to celebrate this, folks. I don't think this is some, like, you know, career-altering moment for Justin Fields because his fellow rookie committed a flag in a moment they didn't need a flag.
0: Uh, I, I like the way you're, played. the Fields part of it was great. Hey, dude, 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 listen, listen, I appreciate that you're on my side. But um, don't be a moron, okay? Like, right? I mean, basically- yeah. I
1: just and look, I, and I hate to make it anything more than it is because I feel like it already did. But it was like. People were like, sell. I mean, this is how bad the Bears team, people were like hyped about the fact that Tevin Jenkins, who already has a million flags against him in like a game and a half, committed a, p- a penalty. It's like, yeah, he's sticking up for his quarterback. This is what Crutes would have done back in the day. I'm like, shut up. Like, Justin Fields doesn't need his fellow rookie to get a flag and take the bait from a Vikings defender. Like, that's where we're at. We're hyped about a rookie tackle committing a penalty, a 15-yarder, but no... He backed up Justin Fields. That's what Fields needs to see from his teammates. I'm like Justin Fields is going to be fine. He's a mentally tough dude and he doesn't need any more flags committed against his offense.
0: I kind of in- enjoyed the uh <laughs> just the J- Jermaine Affetti part of it.
1: Yeah.
0: Jermaine Effetti. Where, since when are you mr passionate this is the most, was that is that at the most fire we've seen from that dude
1: yeah it was i was surprised to see it but i think that's you know this is a team that continues to shoot itself in the foot um again look it was i guess it's good to see people with a little bit of fight the, the fact that Justin fields has taken some of the shots he's taken karm and we finally saw that kind of you know break with the refs when there was an ejection a late hit if Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger and we saw it in that Steelers game takes half of these hits that field i mean you're getting you're seeing flags all over the field and if the NFL wants to protect the quarterback i get it like what Tom Brady gets more calls. Why? I've never understood that in sports. Because he's been in the league longer? It's like, sorry, you're older, dude. How about protect a guy like Justin Fields from headshots and, and slams to the ground and and 350-pound defense alignment falling on top of him when we know for a fact if that was Aaron Rodgers, that's an automatic 15-yarder?
0: NFL officiating it's so is just, bad. I mean, look, it's it's death. It's straight death. And it's it, it's miserably inconsistent. And I get it. You you know these are your your moneymakers. You want them on the field, so Rodgers is literally going to get every call, and LeBron's going to get every call in the league. And Jordan got him back in the day, and da, yada yada, and whatever. But uh,
1: makes no sense.
0: It, it's just it's it is it's bad optics, man.
1: I mean, it's, the flag against Dion Bush with the headshot, and a couple made the valid point, right? He went for the that's ball. That's the that's ball just happened to be in front of the guy's face mask. So. Guess what's going to happen? He'll probably make a little bit of contact with the head. It wasn't an egregious. Fu- it wasn't an egregious play by Dion Bush by any means, you know. And then they defended well, bad, it. There was bad. a pool report after the game, and blah 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 blah. But and and I loved Robert Quinn, by the way, who was having an an incredible season, probably comeback player of the year. He was – every so often you'll finally get a player in one of these press conferences to just be like, screw it, I don't care. And he ripped the refs after the game. I'm like, this is awesome. This is what every fan is thinking. And he he spelled it out perfectly. He's like, some of these rules are stupid. He's like, they're trying to control too much of the game, which I thought was perfectly put. The NFL tries to control – Too many parts of the game. When it's a game that has about a billion, it's an infinite amount of variables. We just don't know exactly how every play is going. You have very strong, big dudes going at a high speed. Things are going to happen.
0: Yep, I didn't listen to Robert Quinn, so that's that's enjoyable. Uh, And and it's just it's just two separate things here. Like people who live their lives by the letter of the law. Like that is just.
1: You like to bend yeah, him a little I,
0: bit, Carm? I like just uh, you know, this let's, can we live by the spirit of the law? Dion Bush, spirit of the law, not a penalty. Letter of law penalty. Can we can we drive uh can we drive forty five in a and a thirty five, no one around? You know, even fifty? I think we can. <laughs> I think we should be able to. Except uh, unless we live in a city that's Brooklyn, Chicago and there's cameras everywhere, so we're just gonna try to get money from you. But of course you should be able to drive down Ashland and uh you know with a little bit further rate of speed, depending on the flow of traffic i mean come on do we do we have to stop at the light at two a m or can we turn right on red at that point if no one's around <laughs> i i just um
1: it's simply common sense
0: right can the spirit of the law man come on let's 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 it's not, it's not that complicated same thing with the catch rule did he catch it, yeah, he caught it. Can't you see? He you did. Oh, no, no, no! The ground caused the fumble. I mean, how, how do we get here? Really,
1: it's rough, I mean, and I think a lot of it has to do with you know the whole concussion thing and CTE, and it stems from that. They don't want to go continue to go through that, um, and I think they're scared. I think they're scared they're going to have one big hit or one nasty play, and then people see it. I mean, Chris Godwin got hit in the knees, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers receiver blows his ACL, and then Tom Brady goes off about how you shouldn't be able to hit receivers in the knees. Like, all right, what are defenders supposed to do? I mean, you're looking at a target of, like, the chest area and the stomach and the hip area, but also, like, factoring in that don't lead with your helmet or hit them too hard, or it could be a flag. So it's just they've gone down cool. this slippery slope with the officiating, and it's it's turned into uh, a nightmare, I think, for the viewing experience of the game. And, you know, even Roquan was asked about it. He's like, it's demoralizing. There was two third-down plays that they got stops, and it was dumb penalties. So I don't know. Hopefully the NFL can uh, figure it out. Before I let you go, Carm, just, like, your thoughts on where Fields is at? I know you mentioned earlier, like, are you worried about his game? I, I still feel really good about him. I just am terrified that Matt Nagy still has three more games to work with Justin Fields, who, by the way, tweaked his ankle in that game. He's going to be limited most of the week at Hallis Hall. Hopefully he can play. Otherwise, it's uh, next to unwatchable. But what, what, where are you at with Fields right now?
0: So nitpicking him and just my quarterback biases, when I watch him, he just looks small, Right. Like this is not a six four guy standing in there he looks i mean it's like I feel like I'm watching more like Doug flutie back there at, at times really like, I don't get that it,
1: vibe at all i
0: i i he just looks tiny to me. I don't know maybe maybe I'm just too uh, too much bare football for me this year, slash however many years but uh that's one thing and and I also am getting confused by really why are you always getting caught in uh when there's plenty of room to run back there, it just—it's it, kind of bizarre to me. Like, where's the natural instinct that I thought you would, you know, aside from like not reading defenses or anything that you would have down? That being said, I love his personality. Uh, the arm strength is there. I rookie quarterbacks have always have issues. Uh, I'm fine. I'm good. I just like the. I'm just not at, this is a lock. This guy's going to do it. I'm, I'm not there yet at all. Like, and, uh, I, I
1: just need to see more. Yeah. I need to see more. I do. I do. I hate it, but I do. Yeah, the next hire, it's so important. They've got to find somebody to come here and figure this offense out and figure out to build a system around Justin Fields. And then, of course, some personnel issues as well. I mean, he doesn't have like a go to target commit. I don't know. Is commit bad? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Jimmy... that's
0: bad. Yeah. He might, he, he, he's certainly not elite. He, he, he might be a decent tight end. give him some more he time because I think
1: he has the tools, but he's had some major drops and some bad penalties. It hasn't been a great season for Cole Komet. Jimmy Graham won't be back next year. Like, Darnell Mooney's his target. You know, there was a couple of red zone moments. I'm like, you're thrown to this. Like, there were a couple plays, like, God, if he just had, like, a big target, like an Allen Robinson who wasn't in there, but he really hasn't gelled with Allen Robinson, who probably won't be back next year. But, um... There, there's a lot that's uh, we'll we'll dive into the whole off season thing. What's the uh, holidays look like for Carm? A lot of parties, a lot of oh, fun. It's
0: gonna be wild, KP. Wild. I, I think I'm filling in for you um, <laughs> on Thursday and Friday. That's gonna be big. I try not to uh, crash the ship over there, and uh, I, you know, I I, I do have uh, uh, on the on the on the back end here after New Year's. We are planning a tennis extravaganza looking like a little Tampa, Florida, a little Saddlebrook, a little Clay Court, court, uh, 8 to 11 in the morning with uh, the coaches, break for lunch, come back for a little 1 to 3 in the afternoon, see if the body can hold up for five hours a day.
1: I didn't realize people do tennis trips. I mean, as a golfer, golf trips make sense to me, but I didn't realize people were like, hey, let's go hit the tennis circuit down in Florida. Well,
0: you know, KP, you're welcome to come because the Saddlebrook also has a course on-premise. You can go golf, Carm will do the tennis, and then we can meet back at the pool and have a couple cocktails, call it a day.
1: It's out of my budget, but it does sound fun. Any final Bears starts, Carm, uh, before I let you go?
0: Uh, final Bears starts. You're just I, ready I for the season to they, be over.
1: Be honest, Carm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I I always get a little melancholy at the end of a uh, football season. <laughs> but, yes, I'm absolutely I'm ready for the NFL playoffs to come along. I think the Bears win. How's this? I'll, let's go nuts. The Bears win two of their last three. How's that?
1: The Giants are awful. Seahawks aren't very good. Yeah, and maybe they get Minnesota. Maybe.
0: How's this? Don't lose out. Just don't lose out. Yeah. I'd like to see Matt Nagy get one more win before he leaves here.
1: He wins his finale and just goes off into the sunset. (laughs) Says, see you later, Chicago. I'm done with all of you.
0: I think, uh, I forget who tweeted it. But someone's like, you know, the the boss move here would be just to lay down his clipboard and just walk out of Soldier Field after, (laughs) you know, one of his brawls with the officials. um, And our guy Connor McKnight, like, tweeted out uh, from the breakfast club when he's walking off the football field. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know it's funny like during the game i was waiting for fire naggy chants and like just below the press box i don't know maybe third quarter i heard a fire naggy chant and i'm like all right this is gonna like pick up and i think fans are even exhausted of that it lasted for like maybe 60 seconds and then it died out they're like well, whatever right. like everybody's just done with this era of bears football it's time to figure out justin fields and create a winner here
0: been there done that you got you got the point yeah sell the team is a good chance if you uh, for what well, we got one home game left I'd love a good Selva team
1: I was sitting uh, next to a KP. Vikings yeah go ahead you gotta go no 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 I was just
0: like, saying like, KP you're the man but...
1: <laughs> you're the man Carm I appreciate you jumping on just a few more of these and uh, we'll wrap up the season but uh, happy new year happy holidays Carm And uh, hopefully uh, COVID doesn't continue to wreak havoc on our sports landscape in the entire world. Because the Bulls, Carm, I'm all in on the Bulls. And as we record this like two hours ago, they're like, no Bulls game tonight. Raptors have COVID. I'm like, come on. Now i got to watch the Armed Forces Bowl tonight between Missouri and Army. I don't think there's much else going on. Maybe an Illinois-Missouri basketball matchup in St. Louis.
0: Before I go, just give me the Christmas Day rundown. Does Papa Paul go big? Are you, do you contribute? Well, uh, uh, Is your girlfriend involved? I've give, got, me, give me everything. You
1: know I've got a girlfriend this year, Carm, so uh, we will be spending uh, Christmas Eve with her family, which will be great, and then uh, Christmas Day, uh, I think I'm going to go to church in the morning, Carm. I haven't done a Christmas like Day it. church in a long time, but we'll do that. We'll head back to... Girlfriend's parents, then go to my parents for a couple hours, and then to my aunt's house where I am going to absolutely devour prime rib. I mean, I'm I'm just going to go wild on prime rib, Carm.
0: I never, you, you know, the, the prime rib thing, KP. What? You where are you me going out.
1: with this? All right, you're not a prime rib uh, guy.
0: I don't like, like the 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 literally still living cow on the plate and in prime <laughs> rib you you really i mean you're dealing with a massive bloody situation with a prime rib done right and, I, and when i ask for the the well-done thing i mean people look at me like i'm nuts. don't but order you know, well-done prime rib just get it, yeah just
1: just get a cheap steak then don't don't waste the prime rib if you're going to get it well done
0: i i don't i don't i go i go medium medium or even even a, a medium rare plusser Prime rib, it's it's straight moo. I don't know. I, but I do love a good horseradish and a roll. And
1: oh, it's so good. I had some cousins when yeah. we were younger, and they they would dip their prime rib in ketchup, and we'd all be like, what are you doing? You're dipping the prime rib yeah. in the ketchup? What are, you, what are you, Patrick Mahomes, putting ketchup on your steak? <laughs> That's aggressively bad. <laughs> That's very bad. All right, Carm, I'll let you go. I kept you long enough. Happy New Year. I'll talk to you soon. JP, you the man. Talk to uh, you, brother. All right. See you. All right, thanks to Carm, as always, for jumping to the podcast. Here's my conversation with Vic Carucci. Wrote a book called Super Bowl Blueprints, along with Hall of Famer Bill Polian. Vic, thanks a bunch for joining me on the podcast. I'm curious as like how this project began. Where did it start? Uh, what's the root of this book, and why did you guys decide to do it?
2: It started with the publisher, Triumph Books, which you know, and of course based uh, uh, there in, in Chicago. Um, the, the thinking was that Bill and I had done a book back in 2014 called The Game Plan. And it was Bill's, uh, base, uh, his formula for putting together teams, the personnel, uh, coach hiring, uh, all the things that helped Bill get to the Pro Football Hall of Fame as an executive and the great success he had in Buffalo and, of course, Indianapolis. Um, and he, he worked, that book was contained, or, or pretty well-focused and limited to uh, the work he did, not so much a life story, but just the work he did and and how it's done and a how-to manual. And when Triumph approached him again, this was late 2019 or so, um, to, to approach him and say, hey, look, would you be interested in another project? He then reached out to me and said, would you be interested in collaborating again on a book? and i i just said yes i didn't we, we didn't have a specific idea i just I just said okay because it is bill and because uh, it, it's so it, it for me it's such an education to work with a guy like that i owe most of what i know about this game in 40 plus years to being around him especially those years in buffalo and he um, uh, said what it was always intrigued him was Kind of inquiring about how other dynasties or, or, you know, great teams have been built, ones that have sustained uh, excellence over a period of time. And I said, okay, and, you know, it's kind of an obvious list of if you go back in history and, and then in discussing it with editors, the idea was not to go too, too far back, um, and, and not too far forward. Like, what's the sweet spot? So, uh, in, in figuring this out, we decided the 70s, uh, through like the early 2000s. Now, that, that would, would make a cutoff point before you get to the New England Patriots' obvious sign of C because that's still in progress. We felt with Bill Belichick obviously being, um, you know, trying to seek more, I guess, at, at least another Super Bowl ring. Tom Brady, even though with another team doing the same thing, trying to go, I guess, for eight Super Bowl rings. And, and while those are, are, are more than qualified, give, the idea was to give each of these clubs that we were considering a chapter. Giving the Patriots a chapter, we felt was more of the short shrift that would lead to more questions than answers. And and volumes of books have been written already, and probably will be written, I guess, uh, about that dynasty or the uh, you know at, at some point. So we left that to others. What we focused on was you know, Raiders, Steelers. You mentioned the Redskins. Uh, as they were known at the time of Joe Gibbs, and and, and then it was Bill using his Hall of Fame uh, membership, if you will, uh, to seek out other hall, fellow Hall of Famers uh, who were more than cooperative in helping us put this together. Terry Bradshaw, and Mean Joe Green, and you know Bill Parcells, and go down the list: uh, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Troy Aikman uh, in, in those Cowboy teams that we talked about, Steve Young uh, when we were talking about the Niners, and uh, it became a, a really a, a fascinating look. We interviewed thirty-two luminaries from ownership to executive uh, executives to coaches to players, and and then we, we we put it together in oral history format with Bill's voice and then the voices of all these other luminaries who gave us. Seven, about two hours or so each on Zoom calls over the course of like early 2020 through. So it became our our COVID project, if you will, where we were, where Bill was in in, uh, North Carolina, I was in in Buffalo, and then Jerry Jones, for instance, was on a yacht uh, when he spoke (laughs) with us. Same one, I guess, that he made the drink. Yeah, so so it's it's still classic. Looking at that video, uh, even though the, the book is is all in its words, it's not a, a video book. But uh, but anyway, we, we, it became incredible. They opened up their souls. I mean, these guys were like, like Jerry warned us. He said I might start crying during this thing. And we know you know Jerry's a character and, and how how, he, how emotional he is about this game. And he says. I'm going to get choked up. I know I am thinking back to when I, you know, bought the Cowboys, up. and he did. He, he did get choked up, um, but he warned us how that would happen. And he, and he said, you know, you just tell me to shut up. If I if I get out, I can get. We're going to tell you to shut up, right?
0: Well, and uh,
2: and then um, uh, Terry Bradshaw about Chuck Noll. Terry Bradshaw talking about the 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 depth of. I, I mean, it was it certainly was a, a troubled relationship to the point where he acknowledged I didn't go to his Hall of Fame induction I didn't go to his funeral yet Chuck Knoll is the reason I'm in the pro Football Hall of Fame so so stuff like that that is so I think makes makes this a real special project
1: yeah reading through it I'm like man they got everybody it's all the big football names you could want in in one book and it, it is fascinating you've been covering the NFL for a long time what did you learn uh, that maybe you, you didn't know? before you did this project? Was there something that stood out where you are like, huh, I, I didn't realize that, or I didn't know that? It, was, was there anything for you personally that, that you learned uh, while doing this project?
2: A yeah. couple of things, yes. Uh, and, and I'll say this hum- very humbly. As long as I've covered this game and as much as I feel I'm connected or well-connected with a lot of people, I know for a fact we weren't getting or I wasn't getting on my own uh, the kind of cooperation that when a Bill Polian calls and says, you know, because it's a fraternity, it's a brotherhood, right? Being part of this Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, and and not only getting these guys to to you know join our calls, and again, a lot of them I know, but am I getting two and a half hours with them on my own? I, I'm, I'm not betting on that. Bill Polian, they 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 were there for him. What I learned, uh, Mike Haynes, um, the, the Hall of Fame uh, defensive back who played, of course, started his career in New England, and then and then the. With the Raiders, uh, established himself as one of the very best at, at his position. He told a story that i had never heard about his close relationship with Daryl Stingley from the Patriots. And you know the story about Jack Tatum and that hit uh, that uh, resulted in Stingley being paralyzed, and it, it was it, it left an indelible mark on Haynes. Um, first of all, that it happened, and Jack Tatum. Jack Tatum first, the, the hit that happened, and I would say it was a preseason game. And when that happened, uh, uh, Mike changed his hard-hitting approach that he had developed in college, thinking that's how you have to play the game. Is just wipe somebody out. Not necessarily intentionally hurt, but hit hit, and let the person remember being hit. Um, and And he altered his approach to the game, even though it didn't, hurt uh, his ability, of course, to become a Hall of Famer. But then years lit, fast forward to when he's with the Raiders. Now he's part of the team that, on which Tatum played, not his teammates, but Tatum was, he tells a story, an incredible story about going on a road trip where Tatum was being was brought, Al Davis had brought him along for the trip. And he sees him on the plane. And, and he's ready to kind of confront the guy because this was the guy who injured one of his very best friends a life-altering injury Stingley, and um, and he made a point of sitting with him on that flight and a lot of the other players who kind of knew those feelings felt them a fight might break out or whatever and it didn't it didn't go that way but but he felt even though he said he couldn't forgive him uh, he had a better understanding of and, and what bothered him the most was what Tatum had said about that hit in, in a book Tatum wrote they call me assassin, you might recall that, and so i I think when it's all you know you hear something like that, and one more seed Young uh, bringing to life helping to bring to life Bill Walsh in, in the in the forty nine chapter uh, just talking about how difficult it was to manage that relationship between himself and joe montana and and Mike Holmgren was kind of in between that, and we we had Mike of course as part of this book as well and Joe talks about, okay, he was at BYU with Mike Holmgren, and 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 as far as Montana was concerned, you know, Steve was Mike Holmgren's boy, so he was. So Joe figured he'd never get a fair shake on that basis. And every time Mike would pay attention to Joe or, or you know understand that Joe was the man there at the time, Steve would say, "What are you doing? I thought we had this really, you know, this great relationship." And so Mike was put in, a, in an uncomfortable position and Steve Young acknowledged that, yes, it was uncomfortable all the way through, but he, re, you know, that they found a way to work together and he just went into great detail. And, and the other point he made was Bill Walsh stepping away as he did. Um, it bothered Young to the point to say that, you know, what might have been had, had he uh, hung around, uh, had, had, had uh, uh, Bill Walsh stayed instead of, retiring because of some difficult relationships with uh, Eddie DeBartolo, the owner of the
0: 49ers.
1: Yeah, it, Holmgren was great in this. And, uh, you know, he talked a little bit about how Bill Walsh used to yell at him a lot and stuff like that. I thought yeah. it was great insight yeah. to just how that whole powerhouse that was the the 49ers yeah. dynasty. And then, of course, Holmgren <laughs> taking many of those concepts to Green Bay and then starting his own little run there and it's it's Holmgren you know talked about and we heard it a million times like it's a copycat league but a lot of these and you guys highlight this it's uh everybody sort of did it their own way you know from Joe Gibbs the one back offense you guys talk about of course the West Coast offense and then Holmgren talked about you know how he was willing to adjust to Brett Favre's style of play and things he did with his concepts I guess for, for you know, from my perspective here in Chicago, we're just starving for sustained success in an organization that can turn into one of these you know Super Bowl caliber organizations. And sometimes it feels like coaching staffs get in their own way. But I guess that was one of my takeaways, where it's these innovation in in their schemes, but also a willingness to adapt. And of course, you hear a lot about in the book, you know, the atmosphere that that teams create that creates this winning success and culture and things like that, which we always hear. But um, that was something I kind of took yeah. away from it, Vic.
2: No, Kevin, that, that's a big and great takeaway. And it makes you wonder. I know, first of all, you know, when you hear names like Joe Montana, just, you know, we, we stop and say greatness, and we know our, our mental images or CEO, yeah, and, and, and the images go to what talent wise made them who they are. Yet, yet from a coaching perspective, um, what made Bill Walsh? So great. We think it's conceptually the the idea of the West Coast offense, the, the scheming, the X and O's, and all the brilliance there, but, that we think is all brilliance, and that's what, that's the credit we want to give. But it's sort of in a vague way when you read this book, and or at least when you hear the stories, it also is this driving for. Perfection and excellence, and and I don't, you know, I don't think you get perfect. Football's not, never a perfect game in my mind. I don't think any sports that we watch, in some way, shape, or form, we feel we want to use that word and throw that word out there. But he was striving for it, and he drove his coaches and players nuts, especially the Joe Montana's and Steve Youngs and the Mike Holmer's, because they'd be in practice, and a, a throw, you know, with would be made, uh, you know, whatever, 20-yard out, something, and the guy would make the catch, and it would look like, okay, that's how we we drew it up, boom. And Walsh would say, no, 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 no. The ball needs to be six inches away from the chest. It's got to be in the, And and he'd be bringing it down to to the most finite elements of where the ball needed to be placed for perfection, that the ball was maybe eight inches away or a hair too high or a hair too low. And the coach, it, it didn't bother other excellent coaches. It didn't bother the players involved, you know, Jerry Rice, or and yet it was bothering Walsh. Let's do it again. Let's do this again. So my what made me wonder, what, what that made me consider is how, how can other coaches you know, Matt Nagy, just as an example, in, in uh, Chicago, or so, is that what he does, or needs to do, or is he doing? Like, do other coaches uh, get? Can they get more out of their players by applying that level of perfection? Does uh, repeating? Can you can you hammer home those points? Is that being done enough? Um, is that even realistic to think that it can be done on any regular basis? Uh, Or is that a different time when he could – I mean, he was getting away with that with a Joe Montana who, by the way, according to um, Holmgren, was mellow enough to say, okay, coach, we'll do it again. Now, if if, when it was Steve Young, he said – and you recall this from the book – Steve would complain. Steve would – what do you mean six inches? I put it where – so it's just just one of those interesting points that made me question or – not necessarily question, but wonder – how realistic is that? And and can you can you continue to do? Should should coach should young coaches or today's coaches who who aren't getting the best out of their quarterbacks do they need to do that?
1: Well, it's great stuff, Vic. Uh, Be sure to pick up a copy, Super Bowl Blueprints. It's Vic Carucci and the Hall of Famer Bill Polian. Congratulations on the book, Vic. It's great stuff. If anybody's looking for a last-minute Christmas idea or anything, definitely pick one up. Uh, It's a great read. Before I let you go, you you cover the NFL so closely. Let's just talk about this season here. Um, We'll bring it. We'll tie in 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 the Bears. Um, What are your thoughts on Justin Fields so far? It's it's the overall. You know, winning and the stats might not be there, but for me, I feel really good about where he's at and his talent. But what what have you seen from someone not here in Chicago about Justin Fields and, and his future?
2: I feel excellent about the talent that he has, the dimensions that he can bring, and uh, and frankly, uh, you know, I, maybe it's not so much of an accident that I bring up that point about Walsh. I'm not saying that he needs a latter-day Walsh to get even more out of him or the, or the fullest that he can bring uh, because that again, those those just great uh, hall of fame coaches are as rare as great hall of fame players. But that said um, there is something there and something upon which I think that team can build. And it's been unfortunate that it seems from the outside that it hasn't been as handled as well as, as I think it should uh, for him but i also know that you know with injury and and other elements to the season I, I i feel like the quarterback room with andy dalton has been set up well just knowing what i do with andy and having that presence there uh, is is i should be a good thing uh, for the development of a young player but it is all up to how this development year goes players don't generally don't get to choose where they end up in the draft. And if they're put in a great situation uh, and they've got the talent to make it happen, it works out. If they're put in a situation that isn't so great and they've got the talent, you might not see it re- re- uh, realized in, in ways that it should. Um, I.e., Steve Young, who ended, started his career in Tampa. And it wasn't until he got to San Francisco with a stop in the USFL before he became what he became. So I, I think we've got to, you know, take measure that, and uh, and but but I do think for Bears fans, there's they can take solace and hope into the talent that this that this player had.
1: All right, about a month to go in the regular season. Right now, who's your Super Bowl favorite, Vic?
2: Oh wow, that which tells me the kind of year this is because I can't yeah. I can't point to an obvious. I mean, I've I've got to like uh, Tampa to repeat just uh, on the basis of especially what they showed in, I guess, resilience in, in overcoming the resilience that Buffalo showed against them last week. Um, and then in, from an AFC standpoint, watching Kansas city uh, and, and what they're doing now, their defense seems to have risen to a, a high level. And, and even, you know, without some key point uh, pieces on that, on the defensive side, uh, they still have found a way um, so I, I would I, I like the way they've been surging uh, in the AFC and the one as much as people are fascinated by what they how they roared back from that slow start um, I'm still looking at Mac Jones as a rookie quarterback and at some point that uh, look his head coach took the ball out of his hands in a primetime critical game and yes he still won it. Um, and I'm, and I, you know, there, once again, Bill Belichick's genius. Okay, great. But it tells me a lot about what, if you, if you really believe that that guy is going to take you the distance, I don't think you ever take it out of his hands. Even under those circumstances, you trust that you've got the guy. And I think he rightfully didn't trust he had the guy because I, I thought New England, if they were relying on Mac Jones in that game, the wind and everything against Buffalo, they weren't going to win. So, uh, it's hard for me to fathom that that's a Super Bowl champion uh, under those circumstances. So I guess i'm I'm saying in a long way, you know the Tampa Kansas City repeat feels like it's, uh... Uh, it feels like
0: it's, it's
1: on its way. <laughs> yeah, now Mahomes is looking like Mahomes again. You know what he did Thursday. It's, uh, it's uh, they're looking like a, a beast again. But it is, you know, talking Super Bowl blueprints. I mean, it is just incredible what Belichick's been able to do, right? I mean, they have the breakup with Tom Brady, and now they have got like Mac Jones. No, no disrespect to Mac Jones, but you look at the quarterback class from the first round. I would say he's probably the least talented among them. Again, not 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 shots fired at Mac Jones by any means, but what they've been able to build around him and what Bill Belichick does to adapt to that. Uh, I'm with you there where you do get a sense that Belichick doesn't have the complete trust yet, but it's, it still is fascinating. The guy knows how to build winning teams. That's for sure. But uh, Vic, I I can't thank you enough for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Be sure to uh, be sure to check out his new book with the uh, hall of famer, Bill Apollian. Vic, thanks again. I really appreciate your time.
2: My pleasure. Thank you so
1: much. All right, thanks to Ernie Scatton. Thanks to Brian Altimer for their help producing the podcast. Thanks to Mark Carmen and Vic Carucci for joining me on the pod. And thank you for listening. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Be looking for a postgame pod after the Bears game against Seattle on Sunday.